Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Y'all look good. You clean up all right, you know? And hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. And uh, there's a practice that the followers of Jesus have been doing for centuries on this day, and I want to do it together with you this morning. I'm going to say Christ is risen, and I want you to respond by saying he is risen indeed. Ready? Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Very good, very good. I have a question for you this morning. It's a very simple question, but you know, sometimes simple questions are the hardest ones to answer. I heard the true story one time of a reporter for CBS who would travel around the country doing all these uh, human interest stories for TV. And one time, true story, the reporter traveled down to Versailles, Kentucky, where he was going to kind of gently poke fun at some of the residents of the backwoods south for calling their town Versailles instead of pronouncing it like the famous French city of Versailles. And so this reporter goes into a local restaurant, sits down at the booth there, and then with the cameras rolling, he asks the waitress a question. He says, ma'am, excuse me, could you tell me where we are right now? Camera's rolling. He thinks he's got her. He says, and could you say it very slowly? And uh, the waitress just kind of looks at him for a minute, and then she says, Dairy Queen. Sometimes simple questions are the hardest ones to answer, all right? Here's my simple question for you this morning. Who is this man? Who is this man? I mean, who who is Jesus? Was he introverted? Was he extroverted? What was Jesus' personality type like? What would he have scored on the Myers-Briggs? What was his Enneagram number? Was Jesus liberal? Was he conservative? Was he short? Was he tall? Was he funny? Was he serious? Was he sarcastic? Was he sweet? What kind of music would Jesus have listened to? Would Jesus have lived in the country? Would he have lived in the city? Would Jesus drive a car? Would Jesus drive a pickup truck? Would Jesus drive (gasps) electric? (laughs) (laughs) Who is this man? Now, my guess is you probably have an opinion about Jesus, and even if you're here this morning and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here this morning, and you have to admit that even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, your life has been inescapably impacted by his life. If you can measure the size of a boat by how big of a wake it leaves behind, no one has left a bigger wake on the surface of history than Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this man? There's a historian by the name of Yaroslav Pelikan who says it like this. By the way, tell your mom thank you she didn't name you Yaroslav Pelikan, okay? He says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. He goes on. He says, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? My guess is, not much. Who is this man? 
you pull out your phone right now, the calendar on your phone will tell you that history has been divided into two parts, before this man and after this man. And here we are, 2,023 years after this man's life, gathering with two billion other people today, celebrating our belief that this man is actually still alive today. Who is this man? Because across the world, people are going to today talk about him, sing to him, pray to him. Billionaires and beggars, children and world leaders, they're all going to worship him today. Who is this man? There have been more words written, movies made, songs sung about this man than any other. Songs sung by everybody from the Apostle Paul to Elvis Presley to Kanye West. Who is this man? Who is this man? He's history's most familiar figure. Some of the greatest works of art of all time have been made to honor him, and yet none of us even know what he looked like. From hospital rooms, delivery rooms, to wedding barns, to emergency rooms, to funeral homes. It is in this man's name that millions of people have been hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. <laughs> Please don't laugh at that, guys. <laughs> who is this man? He's the man who won't go away. Just look at his impact on history. Before this man's life, children were actually seen as disposable. In the ancient world, most of the time, you wouldn't even name your child until after about a week or so of life because before that, the odds were good that the baby might die in the first week of life or if that child was deformed, disabled, or of a gender that you did not desire, it was perfectly acceptable for you to just simply leave her outside to die. And yet this man came along saying, let the little children come to me. And this man's followers, under the belief of his teaching, where he taught that all people have dignity from the womb to the tomb. And so this man's followers started the world's first orphanages. Before this man, the world was a sexual wasteland based on power dynamics. And then this man came along who never married, mind you. And yet all of a sudden after him, women are valued for so much more than their bodies. And this man's sexual ethic of chastity in singleness and faithfulness in marriage rocked the Roman world to its core. This man never wrote a book. And yet the book about him has sold more copies than any other. And this man's teaching to love the Lord your God with all of your mind has given birth to the world's finest universities and educational systems. This man never led an army, never held an office. In fact, he was on the wrong end of the law in both his birth and his death. And yet his teaching has given birth to the most equitable systems of government in history. His teaching that now we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This man and his teaching and his followers who believed that simple idea would go on to found the world's first hospitals and erode the foundations of the slave trade and genocide and poverty and racism and launch the greatest humanitarian aid efforts that the world has ever seen, unleashing a revolution of forgiveness and love even for one's enemies an idea that before this man had never been heard before. Who is this man? It's why whether you follow Jesus or not, Jesus is still nearly universally admired to some degree. In fact, if you go home this afternoon and you Google the number of official groups claiming to be for Jesus, 
It is quite astounding to name just a few of these groups. There are legitimate groups called Jews for Jesus, Muslims for Jesus, ex-Masons for Jesus, road riders for Jesus, cowboys for Jesus, wrestlers for Jesus, clowns for Jesus, puppets for Jesus, even atheists for Jesus. Who is this man? We see billboards and bumper stickers that say, Jesus saves. Can you imagine saying that about anybody else? When's the last time you saw a t-shirt that says, Napoleon saves? Marilyn Monroe saves. Socrates saves. It would be absolutely preposterous, wouldn't it? Just look at the people who claim him. Both political parties claim to be his true ambassadors. Look at the people that he brings together. Billy Graham, Bill Clinton, and Bill Shakespeare. (laughs) Galileo, Isaac Newton, Michelangelo, George Washington, Denzel Washington, Sojourner Truth, and Robert E. Lee. Who is this man? You know, when somebody dies, um, their impact on the world immediately begins to fade until they are most likely largely forgotten. That's gonna be my fate, that's gonna be your fate someday. If you don't believe me, name for me right now all of your great-great-grandparents, okay? Case in point. And it looked like that would be Jesus's story too. When Jesus died, his followers immediately lost hope. Jesus did not seem immediately likely to win the award for most likely to posthumously succeed. When Jesus died, nobody named a town after him. Nobody built a monument. That kind of stuff was for Nero, for Caesar. And yet somehow, Jesus inverted that normal trajectory. And here we are two millennia later, and Nero is a name for a dog. And we only talk about Caesar when we want some salad or cheap pizza, right? And yet this little small town carpenter who is executed, his impact only grows larger by the decade. Who is this man? In the year 100 AD, which was around the time that the last of Jesus' personal friends would have died, there were about 25 Jesus followers in the Roman Empire. So the movement had grown, but it's still like minuscule by worldwide standards, right? And and their lives were very different from ours. They didn't have formalized Bibles in the way we do. They didn't have million-dollar budgets and fancy church buildings. In fact, they were ostracized from society. They were hated. They were cut off from their families. Some of them were even killed in the Roman arena for saying that this man was Lord, which implied that Caesar was not. And after 200 years of that, in the year A.D. 310, there were 20 million Christians in the Roman Empire, including the emperor himself. They had taken the world by storm. Who is this man? And we could say it was just luck, right? That Jesus was just a likable guy who told good stories and happened to be in the right place at the right time. We could say he's just Jesus Gump. But what if he's not? What if there's more? Who is this man? We've been walking together this year through a series called All Hail the King, where we're walking through the life of Jesus as recorded for us by this guy named Mark. And we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark that the good news Jesus came to announce is that the kingdom of heaven has come near, that heaven's closer than you think, and that he is the one true king. And everywhere that we've seen King Jesus going, amazing things happen. Wherever King Jesus goes, people sell their seeing eye dogs and they take up bird watching. 
People trade their wheelchairs for hiking boots. Wherever Jesus goes, demons flee and storms obey and social hierarchies are reversed and food multiplies and even the dead come back to life. And Jesus has these friends, his disciples who are going around with him. And after they've seen Jesus doing all of these amazing things, Jesus asks them a simple question. Right here in Mark chapter eight. I'm gonna read the words in white. I want you to read out loud the words in yellow. Here's what Mark says. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Who do people say that Jesus is? Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. They did back then too. Notice, nobody says he was just a good example or just a nice teacher. John the Baptist, Elijah, that's, I mean, that's high praise. That's like the Mount Rushmore of Jewish heroes. Who do people say that Jesus is? And part of what makes Jesus so enduring is that he is relevant in every culture. And yet the flip side of that coin is we all also have this natural tendency to kind of view Jesus through the lens of our own experience. And there's a philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal who says it like this. He says, God made man in his own image and man returned the favor. Who do people say that he is? Republicans might say that he stood for freedom and family values. Democrats might say that he stood for the poor and the oppressed. Um, athletes might say he helps them run faster, jump higher. Therapists might say that he helps us cope with life, life's problems. Hippies might say that he stood for peace because all you really need is love. Hallmark might say he's good for get well cards and Christmas movies. Revolutionaries might say that he was a rebel against the status quo. Buddhists say that he was a holy man. Hindus say that he was one God among millions of other gods. Jehovah's Witnesses say that he was the first of God's creation. Islam says that he was a prophet. Others say that he was just a great example, a good teacher, even if he is now a little bit outdated. And yet none of those answers quite fit the bill, do they? Um, the author C.S. Lewis says it like this. He can't just be a, a good teacher, can't just be a holy man. Because C.S. Lewis says, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. Lewis is saying you have three options. You can either say that Jesus was a liar, or you can say he was a lunatic, but if he's none of those things, then you have to say that he is the Lord. Those are the only options. So who is this man? And to those of us who are here this morning and we say, yeah, I, I don't think these are just fairy tales. Jesus is actually alive. He, he is actually risen. And then who is this man? Well, we've tasted and seen that to the lost, he's the way. And to those in darkness, he's the light. And to the hungry, he's the bread of life. And to the thirsty, he is living water. And to the broken and the sick, he's the healer. And to the shaken, he's the rock of ages. And to the artist, he is beauty. And to the builder, he is the chief cornerstone. And to the farmer, he's the Lord of the harvest. And to the author, he's the word of God. And to the thinker, he's the wisdom of God. And to the sick and to the dying, he's the resurrection and the life. Who is this man? Who do people say that he is? And yet, Jesus actually has a more specific question for you today. He cares less about how, who other people say that he is, and he cares more about how, who you say 
that he is. He goes on to say this. He asks him a follow-up question. In chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says, but what about you, he asks. Who do you say that I am? Not what your parents told you, not what your Uncle Louie told you, not what you were taught as a kid. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now that term Messiah there is a Hebrew term. The Greek equivalent for it is the Greek word Christ. That's where we get Jesus Christ. And Messiah, Christ there just means that he's the king. The king that the Jews were waiting for, the king that God had promised to send who they'd hoped would overthrow their oppressors and establish justice on the earth. And so when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the one we've been waiting for. You are all of our hopes and our dreams fulfilled. You're the king. It's a good answer, really. Um, we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark, we've walked through this whole first half, and over these first eight chapters, we've seen everything that has been happening has actually been building up to this climactic moment right here. And we're actually going to push pause on the Gospel of Mark starting next week. We're going to come back and we're going to do the second half, the last eight chapters, in the latter portion of the year. And in those last eight chapters, we're going to see that sometimes simple questions are a little more complex than we thought. Because even though Peter can give the right answer here, he still doesn't fully understand. And I wonder if that's true for you and for me this morning, that even if I asked you the question, who is this man? And you could give me the right answer, that Jesus is the king. Maybe, just maybe, there's still more that Jesus wants to open your eyes to. You see, actually, right before Jesus asks his disciples these questions, they have an interesting little run-in. Take a look at this right here in chapter 8. It says this. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, let me just go ahead and ask the question that I assume you're asking in your head right now. What in the world is going on here? Like, he opens up his eyes. I see people. They look like trees walking around. It's some kind of Lord of the Rings stuff. You're like, what's, what's happening? Like, it takes Jesus two shots to heal this guy. Is Jesus tired? Is he weak? Is this dude just some kind of super-duper blind? Well, no. Jesus is a master teacher, remember. He's using this as an object lesson, as an illustration. Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, you think you see? But you don't see yet. Peter, you can give the right answer to this question, but there's so much more that you have left to learn. I want to open your eyes. And you see, I need that today. Here's why I need that today. Because I'm what you call a Buick. That stands for a brought-up-in-church kid. I'm a Buick, right? <laughs> Been in church my whole life. The only drug problem I had growing up is that my mom drug me to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> 
And, and maybe that's your story today. Maybe you've been through the whole church thing or maybe you're brand new to faith, but regardless, like growing up in church, who is this man? I know the answer to that question. I stood up in front of the church on October 28th, 2001, and I answered that question the same way Peter answered it in Matthew chapter 16. I said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and my savior. That's the same good confession that you said if you've been baptized and yet, and yet, and yet. Whether you're brand new to faith or whether this has been a story you've heard a thousand times, Jesus is asking us a question today. Who do you say that I am? And here's the thing. When Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he needs to learn something. He's not having an identity crisis. It's because we need to learn something. And so maybe even if you can give the right answer today and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He's the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Even then, if that's true, God has something so much better for you in store than the faith that you've been settling for. And the proof of that is the resurrection. Because this is Easter, right? And it's on this day that for 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus have been gathering together on the first day of the week. We get together on the first day of every week to celebrate the resurrection. But on this day specifically, we emphasize this in saying, hey, the God sent his son who was born of a virgin to live a perfect life, the life I couldn't live, and he died the death that I deserved, and he was buried in the tomb for three days, and on the third day, he rose again, and he's alive today. He's reigning as king of the universe, and one day he will return, and he'll make all things new. And this is why we say together, Christ is risen... Here's why that matters for you. We are living in a world in need of hope. I've heard it said before that 20 years ago we had uh, Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope, and now we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. <laughs> <laughs> Wall Street Journal released a study a couple weeks ago that said that as of this moment, 78% of Americans are not confident that their children will have a better life than they did. We're living in a profound sense of national pessimism at the moment. Now, I think that's tragic, but I also think that if Jesus is just a good example, if he's just a good teacher, then that really is an understandable worldview. The Apostle Paul was a later follower of Jesus who wrote this in a letter to an ancient church called 1 Corinthians he writes this. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing, he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the most important thing. And yet, if that is just a story, if it's not actually, literally, historically true, then Paul goes on to say this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus is not alive, then the devil was right. If Jesus is not alive, then you are stuck in your sin, shackled in shame, hopelessly guilty, and enslaved to death. If Jesus is not alive, 
Darkness wins. If Jesus is not alive, there is no justice. The wicked will get away with it. Evil will go unpunished. And the loved ones you have lost, you will never see again. If Jesus is not alive, there is no purpose to your life. Where are you getting all dressed up and coming here this morning? If Jesus is not alive, if his molecules did not re-knit, if his motionless body did not reanimate, if his silent heart did not start beating again, if his stale lungs did not reinflate, if his dead eyes did not open, if his cold blood did not start flowing through his veins again, if Jesus is not alive, then the church will fail because this is all just a spiritual Ponzi scheme and someday you will stand before God utterly and completely alone. But who is this man? And what if there's more? Uh, some of you will remember the final years of the Soviet Union. In its day, the USSR was just this bastion of atheistic, secular humanism. And uh, back in that day when George H.W. Bush was the vice president for Reagan, one time uh, Bush went over to the USSR to represent the United States at the funeral for the former Soviet leader, Leonid Brezhnev. And Bush later described how moved he was by a small silent protest that he witnessed at that funeral. Just one act of defiance by Brezhnev's widow. Bush describes how as this grieving woman stood there beside her husband's casket, just before the casket was closed, she reached in and she made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. In a profound act of civil disobedience, Brezhnev's widow was saying that she hoped her husband was wrong. That maybe there was another life. That maybe death was not the end. That maybe, just maybe, these stories that she'd heard of this man named Jesus who died and rose again, maybe, just maybe, the stories were true. Chad Scruggs is the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church down in Nashville. You might have heard his name. He lost his nine-year-old daughter, Haley, in that horrible shooting a couple weeks ago. Did you catch what Chad Scruggs told the reporters afterwards? He said, through tears we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again. He sounds a whole lot like the Apostle Paul who would go on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say it like this, that if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead... Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. In other words, because Jesus is alive, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Every night at dinner, um, we like to ask our kids what their highs and lows from the day were, just to kind of be a discussion starter there at the dinner table. And what you need to understand about the Proctor House is that we have two boys who really love to talk, and I love that. And then we have a third boy, the middle kid, Calvin. And he's three years old, and Cal is made in my image. He's a little bit of an introvert. He's a totally internal processor. He's a man of few words. He's just kind of happy to observe and to live in his own head. But a couple weeks ago, I just asked him, I said, uh, 
hey, Cal, uh, what was your favorite part of the day today? What, what did you like today? And we were playing basketball, and he just kind of picked up the ball, and he looked at, right at me, and I swear, these are his words. He said, I don't know, but one thing I truly know about you It's like, I, I'm, this is not preacher exaggeration. Those are his exact words, okay? Like our little three-year-old stoic son just burst spontaneously into Shakespearean English. <clears throat> he says, I don't know, but one thing I truly know about you, you love me, and you like to play with me, and you jump with me. Three things. He said it was one thing, but it's three things. <laughs> he said, and that's what I truly know. I don't know your story. I don't know where you are today. I don't know your pain. I don't know your doubts. And I don't know the answers to all of your questions. But one thing I truly know, Jesus is alive. There have been other great teachers. There have been other miracle workers. There have been other good examples, but there is only one who defeated death. And if Jesus is alive, because Jesus is alive, he is who he says he is. He's the king. And because Jesus is alive, Chad Scruggs will see his daughter Haley again. And because Jesus is alive, you can change. And because Jesus is alive, your life has purpose and because Jesus is alive, you have a hope and a future. Because Jesus is alive, evil will not go unpunished and your prayers will not go unheard. Because Jesus is alive, death is not the end. Sin does not have to be your story and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because Jesus is alive, he is the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And upon that rock, he will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One thing I truly know, Christ is risen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.